0: You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. turn to James the second chapter the second chapter of james i'm going to do something tonight that I don't know that i've ever done i'm going to preach a short message. <laughs> I preached so long this morning that some of you just stayed for the evening service and didn't even go home, and uh, so because of that i'm going to give you a break and cut you some slack tonight. No, really i'm not, but because we're only going <laughs> because we're only going to deal with a couple of verses and because uh The special night um, with Monty and Tanya and uh, the time that we're going to have together just to fellowship afterwards with them. Uh, I felt like that maybe uh, it would be time just to to deal with the the specifics of the Scripture and not do a whole lot of uh, rabbit chasing or running around after it. On Sunday nights, those of you that are visiting with us are not regular with us on Sunday evenings. We've been studying through the book of James on Sunday nights. Sunday mornings, we're in the book of Ephesians in a verse-by-verse exposition of the Scripture. And we're doing the same thing on Sunday night just studying through the book of James. And we're about in the middle of the first chapter. And it's been a challenging study so far and an exciting study. And James has been dealing with how you approach the circumstances of life, how you deal with the testings and the trials and the temptations that come on all of us. He says, as a matter of fact, as a child of God, you can count it all joy when you encounter various testings because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then he says, let endurance have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so the study of the book of James is certainly an exciting, an exciting study. Tonight, we're just going to deal with chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, just two verses. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I've entitled this message tonight, Open Your Ears, Shut Your Mouth, and Cool Your Jets. Now, that's a street version of the title. You could maybe call it Tune In, Tone Down, and Sweeten Up or whatever, Uh, but I like my street version of the title a little bit better than that one. James, in the context of these verses, has been dealing with the new birth. If you just look back in verse 18, you'll see that he spoke about in the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth, and remember we talked about that word means the birth process. In other words, he birthed us, we were born again by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. And so James has just been dealing with the new birth process, this idea of being saved, of being born again, of becoming new creatures in Christ. And so he goes from that context in, in verse 18 immediately to verse 19 and the following verses, and he begins to deal with this Christian experience of walking in daily life, the effects of the new birth. Now listen, folks. The new birth is an experience that every Christian has had. If you have not been born again, then you are not a Christian. If you've never been born again in a kind of life-changing kind of way, if nothing has become different in your life since trusting Jesus, then you are not a Christian. One way to tell if you've really been born again is: has there become a difference in your life? Is there a difference in your life since you've come to know Jesus as Savior? If you there is a new birth, then there's going to be some new behavior. And one goes hand in hand with the other, and they cannot be separated. The new birth brings with it new behavior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul said it very clearly. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The new birth experience. I heard one guy that said it this way. He said, if your religion hasn't changed your life, then you need to change your religion. <laughs> that pretty much says it. If Jesus hasn't changed your life, then something is wrong. You have not been born again. So after, after James has dealt with the new birth experience in verse 18, now in verse 19 and some verses even past the ones that we're going to deal with tonight, he continues with that idea and now begins to make the practical application of the difference that that new birth experience is going to make in your life. And so in verse 19, he begins to talk about some of this new behavior. I heard the story of some guys who were standing around talking about the different translations of the Bible. And probably if I had you hold up your translation tonight, we would probably have five or six different translations. I happen to have the New American Standard. So of you've got the good news to 17th century man, which happens to be the King James. Others of you have got the Living Bible, which is not really a translation, but a paraphrase. But you've got all different types of translations. Most of them are good. Some of them are lousy. But I heard some guys standing around talking about the various translations. And one said, well, I believe that the New American Standard is, is the best. And he's a pretty smart guy. Uh, another one said, well, I believe the King James is, is the best. I mean, if it was good enough for Paul and Silas, then it's good enough for me. Uh, I, another one said, well, I think the revised standard is probably the best. And just on and on and on about which translation was the best. And one old boy spoke up and said, well, he said, those are all good, but I like my mother's translation the best. And they looked at him kind of funny. They said, your mother's translation. What do you mean your mother's translation? Uh, I didn't know that your mother had translated the Bible. Uh, what translation is that? And he said, my mother translated the Bible into daily living. And that's what James is talking about throughout the book of James. It's the translation of the word of God into daily living. He's dealt with a new birth in verse 18. And now he's going to deal with some differences that that new birth is going to make in your life. So I want to say to you, first of all, James deals in verse 19. He says, but every, let everyone be quick to hear. In my outline, I wrote that down as open your ears. Let everyone open your ears. Verse 19, be quick to hear. In other words, put your ears on. James is saying, listen up. There are some things that you need to hear. Now, all of us have ears. Most of us have ears. All of us have ears, but not all of us have got our ears open. One of Jesus' most favorite phrases when he would be about to teach the multitudes was that phrase is that repeated in all of the gospels when he said, "He that has ears to hear, let him hear." Now Jesus wasn't saying to the multitude, I know that some of you don't have ears and so you guys are not going to be able to listen and others of you that have got ears, y'all open them up because I'm about to teach you. Jesus understood that everybody had ears but not everybody had them open. Not everybody really and truly wanted to hear so Jesus would say, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. If you want to hear, Jesus said, then listen up, be quick, open up your ears for I'm about to say something that's important. Now by James saying, be quick to hear, I don't believe that he means that we're to listen to everything. I don't believe the scripture teaches that, that we are to open our ears and our minds and our hearts to every philosophy that comes along and everything. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 that we're not to do that. Jesus said, take care what you listen to. Did you know that? That you ought to be careful of the things that you listen to. You shouldn't listen to everything that comes down the pike. In other words, you shouldn't listen to every word of gossip that comes along. Don't let somebody use your ears as garbage cans. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't listen. You become an accomplice to the crime when you do. And so when someone begins to gossip to you, just say, be quiet. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to become accomplice to the crime. You shouldn't listen to everything that comes down the pike. You shouldn't listen to every philosophy that comes along. There are lots of godless philosophies taught in our society, and it's just not fitting. It's not proper for the child of God to expose himself to those kinds of things. And so when James says be quick to hear, he's not saying just open your mind and your ears to everything. What's he talking about? He's saying that for the one who has been born again, the one who has been brought forth by the Spirit of God, he ought to be quick to hear the impulses of the Spirit of God. That's what he's talking about. He ought to be quick to hear when God speaks. Be quick to hear, James says, when God speaks to you. Now the problem is not that God is not speaking anymore Um, you know we read in the scripture and and we believe it to be true that in times past God has verbally spoken to his servants uh, to Nebuchadnezzar he was not a servant he wrote on the wall he spoke to him in a very clear way you don't want God writing on your wall though that was the only time that God ever wrote on anybody's wall and it wasn't a very good message and so you don't want God to speak to you in that way but the problem is not that God is not speaking the problem is that we are not listening God speaks but we are not quick to hear oftentimes As the Apostle James says, that we ought to, God is speaking. Let me list a few ways for you very simply ways that God speaks to His people. For many of you, this is old hat, uh, so just set your alarm and wake up in about five minutes and come back with us. And the rest of you, tune in with me here for a moment. Some ways that God speaks to His people. First of all, God speaks through Scripture, God speaks through Scripture. Before you say that God never talks to you, before you say that God never speaks to you, ask this question, how much time do you spend in the study of the word of God? Before you say, but God never speaks to me the way that he speaks to other people, ask this question, how much time do you spend in the revealed word of God? Do you love this book? Do you love the word of God? Do you spend time studying this book? It is the inspired word of God. Amen. (laughs) So big deal. Well, the big deal is that God has revealed himself in Jesus and in his written word. It is his word given to us to speak to his people. It's not given to you to adorn your coffee table. That's okay if it adorns your coffee table, but if that's where it stays, then that's not what it's given for. It's not given to preserve your, uh, the flyer that you got at the senior prom. I guess it's okay to do that. I, I don't know. I don't I wouldn't like the idea of that, but that's not why the word of God was given. The word of God is given in order that we as his people might understand the plan and the purpose of God in history and in our lives. The Father speaks through his word. It is God's word to you. And if you'll open the book, if you'll open the book with a genuine heart of wanting God to say something to you, I'll guarantee you the Father will speak and he'll speak very clearly through his word. Let me give you a few questions that you might ask yourself as you read the scriptures to help the the Bible get off the page and get into your heart. Okay, let me give you just a couple of simple questions. First of all, as you read the scripture and as you study, ask yourself this question, is there a lesson here for me to learn? Is there a lesson for me to learn? You know, the, the, the Bible is full of lessons for God's people and ask yourself the question, is there a lesson for me to learn? Second of all, ask yourself this question, is there a blessing for me to enjoy? I've heard the Bible referred to as the blessing book, God's blessing book to his people. And so as you read the scripture to make it come alive, to allow God to speak to you, ask that question, is there a blessing for me to enjoy in this passage that I've just gotten through reading? Third, ask yourself this question, is there a commandment for me to obey? The, the, the book is, is full of God's commandments, directives for his people, directions for us to go, ways for us to live, things for us to do. It's a book of commandments. And so ask yourself the question as you read the scripture, is there a commandment in this passage for me to obey? Fourth, ask, is there a sin for me to avoid? God has spoken to us many times in the experiences of the children of Israel and of his, his great men and women in the scriptures of their weaknesses as well as their strengths in order that he might warn us of pitfalls that we could go around. As a matter of fact, the New Testament says that God did many of the things in the Old Testament as examples for us, as lessons for us. And so as you read the scripture, ask your question, is there a sin for me to avoid? Is God trying to tell me something? Is he trying to speak to me in this verse? Is there a sin that I need to avoid? And Fifth, is there a new truth for me to apply? You know, it never ceases to amaze me how God's word is alive. Every time I pick up the word of God and read it, I can read a verse, I can read a passage that I've read hundreds of times before, maybe preached on many, many times and taught Bible studies on. And when I come to the scripture with an open heart and an open mind, God will reveal some new truth in his word. Every time that I pick up the book, when I come with a willing heart for God to speak. And so James says, be quick to hear. That doesn't mean be quick to hear everything, but be quick to hear the, 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 the Spirit of God as he speaks to you. And one way that God speaks to his people is through Scripture. There's another way that God speaks, though, and that's through the sermon. <laughs> now, you'd expect me to say that, wouldn't you? You would expect me to say that. And I, by saying that, I'm not being egotistical. I really am not. I don't want to be egotistical by saying that. But really and truly... One of the ways that God will speak to you, that God speaks to his people, is through the sermon. You see, the reason I say that is simply because I believe I've been called of God to preach. I believe that I have been gifted of God to preach. And if God has called me and if he has gifted me to do that, then he has a purpose for that. And that purpose, the reason he's called me to a local church is that he might use me to speak to his people. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a prophet. I don't proclaim to be a prophet. I just simply expound what God has already said and what God has already revealed. But I'll guarantee you, God's purpose for having preachers and teachers of the Word of God is in order that He might speak to His people. Now I take it as a great responsibility. I really do. I pour over the Scripture. I agonize over the Scripture. I get ulcers over the Scripture, knowing that Sunday comes around every single week. <laughs> And I've got to be prepared. I've got to be ready to open the word of God and say something that is meaningful to you, his people, that God can use to speak to you. And I see that as a tremendous responsibility. And it weighs heavily upon my shoulders every day of every waking moment of my life. I accept that responsibility. But listen, listen to this. Not only is it a great responsibility for me to be prepared, but that means that if God wants to speak to you through the sermon, it means that you better be prepared too. You, I have as much right to expect you to come into this place prepared to learn as you have right to expect me to come into this pulpit prepared. Did you hear that? I wonder. I just wonder. i will not ask you to hold your hands up, but uh, I wonder how long y'all would keep me as your pastor if I prepared for preaching as much as you prepare for worship. I wonder how long I'd be around here. Probably a good bit of my preparation would be while, the, while Gary is playing the last notes of the offertory. What's it going to be today? Think about that. God wants to speak to you as you just open his word and read. He can do that and he will. But also he's called and gifted preachers and teachers of the word of God in order that he might speak to you through those men and women that he has gifted and, and called to those positions. And if that is true, then they are responsible to be prepared. But you as the people of God are also equally responsible to come into this place prepared. I'll guarantee you this will happen. If you come to the place of worship and the place of study with a genuine heart desire saying, God, speak to me tonight. I want to be spoken to. I want to meet you, Lord Jesus, tonight in your word. And I want to come out of here more equipped and more inspired to walk and live for you in a day-by-day process. I promise you God will do it, whether I'm in my best form or not and half the time I'll not be. I wonder how long I'd be here if my time of preparation to preach to you equaled your time of preparation to worship and to learn. I heard of a man that came to his pastor. He said, "He said, Pastor, can you give me a little prayer to pray to kind of get prepared as I come into worship on Sunday morning? Pastor said, well, how about now I lay me down to sleep? <laughs> you know, that might be fitting for many of us. That's about the level of preparation that we have in prayer and in meditation before we even come into the place of worship. But see, James says, be quick to hear. Do everything you can to hear because God wants to speak. And he'll speak to you through his word as you just open the scriptures and study. But he'll also speak to you through that Sunday school teacher, through me and through everyone that he has called and gifted to preach and to teach. The word of God, but the third way God speaks is through spirit. Ultimately, all of it's through spirit because it takes the quickening and the livening up of the spirit in order for you to to learn anything. But sometimes God speaks to the heart of the believer directly through His spirit in the prayer closet alone, with no one speaking, no one teaching, without maybe even the scripture being open. God comes to the heart of that meditating believer who has yielded to the plan and the purpose of God and is worshiping the Lord in his own closet in prayer and has shut up long enough for God to do some speaking. And the Spirit of God begins to speak to the heart of the believer. God speaks through the Scripture as you just read it. He speaks through the sermon, through the pastor, through the teachers, through those who he's called and gifted, but he also speaks through his Spirit in the quiet place. Of course, he doesn't have the opportunity if we never go to the place of quietness, if we never go to the place of prayer, the place of meditation. But God wants to speak to you. But before you say, God never speaks to me, ask yourself the question, how much time do I spend allowing him to speak to me? So James says, be quick to hear. But the second thing he says in this verse is be slow to speak. Quick to hear, but slow to speak. In other words, shut your mouth. (laughs) close your mouth be slow to speak you see the plain truth is that most of us just talk too much and the reason i said i was gonna preach a short sermon tonight is because i want not practice what i'm preaching <laughs> a little bit most of us the plain truth is we just talk too much isn't that true i read it in a i read this many things are open by mistake but none quite so often as the mouth Many things are opened by mistake, but none quite so often as the mouth. He says, be slow to speak. Now, why is that? Why should we be slow to speak? Quick to hear, yet slow to speak. Well, let's go to the scripture and let the scripture uh, tell us about it. Proverbs. I'll write these down and maybe look them up later. I've got them written down so I can just read them to you. But write these references down and I want you to look them up later. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Solomon said this, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. In other words, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Did you hear that? When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. In other words, the more you talk, the more chance there is you're going to to sin. The more you open your mouth, the more chance there is that you're going to say something wrong. So if you haven't sinned in a while, keep talking. You will. (laughs) When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. So, James says, be slow to speak. Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28. Listen to what Solomon says again. He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. Solomon says, the more you know, the less you have to tell it. (laughs) As a matter of fact, in another place, he says that a fool is known by his multiplication of words, by his many, many words. And so Solomon says, the more that you know, the less you feel compelled to have to tell it. If you don't talk, then people are going to think you're wise. If you open your mouth, everybody will know different. (laughs) Listen to this. Someone said it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove any doubt. Be quick to hear, yet slow to speak. The rabbis had a saying about speaking. Listen to this, the Jewish rabbis. Man has two ears and one mouth. The ears are made to always be open. The mouth is made so it can be closed, and the tongue is enclosed in a den behind ivory bars, the teeth. What the rabbis meant by that is that God has given us equipment to hear and to speak. But he's given us twice as much equipment to hear as he has to speak. He's given me two ears, but he's only given me one mouth. That means I ought to be listening twice as much as I speak. And for most of us, that's not true. So James says, be quick to hear, but be slow to speak. Prayer that David prayed in the Psalms 141 verse 3 might be good for most of us to pray. Put it on the doorpost of your house. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over my lips. So, two things that James says should be a part of the the life of the one who knows Jesus, who's been born again that quickness to hear, that sensitivity, that standing on spiritual tiptoes to hear the Father speak, but also a slowness to speak because the Scripture says that with the multiplication of words, the opportunity for transgression is great. And third, James goes on and says, Not only quick to hear and slow to speak, but slow to anger. In other words, cool your jets. That used to anger my wife. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good word to use, but when we were just married and young and foolish and all those kinds of things, still young, still foolish, but uh, when we were just married, we'd get an argument, and we did once or twice, didn't we? We'd get an argument, and I'd say, Why don't you just cool your jets? <laughs> Used to make her so mad, she told me she didn't want to hit me. She never did. Submissive wife, you know. But uh. <laughs> cool your jets. That's what James is saying. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In other words, cool your jets. You see, this third one is really the sum total of the first two. Because when someone starts to listen, when they begin to learn to listen, and they begin to talk less, it has an effect upon their temperament. It has an effect upon their temper. When you have your thoughts and your tongue under control, then your temper is going to soon follow that. Did you hear that? Be quick to hear the thoughts. Be slow to speak the tongue and be slow to anger. And that really is the capstone of it all. One follows upon the other. When you have your thoughts and your tongue under control, the temper is soon to follow it. So James says, be slow, be slow to anger. As I've said to you before, God's word never says that it is sin to be angry. Did you hear that? God's Word never says it is sin to be angry. To the contrary, we studied it a few weeks ago in Ephesians, where Paul says, be angry, and that's an imperative, it's a a command, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. You see, just anger in and of itself is not wrong. It is only wrong when it leads to sin, which it very easily can do. Jesus was angry. And so if anger is sin, then Jesus sinned. And, of course, we know that the Lord was perfect. He never sinned. Yet the scripture says that Jesus was angry. Mark chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, after looking around at them, he's speaking to the Pharisees, after looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at their hardness of hearts. Jesus was angry when he went into the temple place and, and cleared the money changers out. I believe that he was angry, yet he did not sin. Jesus got angry, but without sin. What made Jesus angry though? That's the key. What was it that made our Lord angry? It was the hardness of the hearts of those Pharisees. It was the making of a mockery of the things of God and of the place of the worship of God in the temple area that made Jesus angry. Jesus got mad at sin. That's the key right there. Listen, Jesus got angry at sin. Some of us, Most of us need to learn to get angry at the right things. We need to learn how to be angry. We need to learn how to be angry at sin. You see, the problem, and I said it a few weeks ago, but let me say it again. The problem is, with most of us, is that what used to amaze us now amuses us. And we've become inoculated. We've become immune, if you will, to the sin that is around us where we ought as the Lord to have that kind of righteous indignation about the things that go on around us. What once amazed us now just simply amuses us. We live with it. We accept it. We've just become hardened callous to the things around us. We ought to be angry at pornography. I guarantee you we ought to be. This is not just no backwoods preacher preaching a hellfire and damnation sermon, folks. We ought to be angry about it. You know why? Because it cheapens the creation of God. That's why. Because it debases the very image of God that is stamped upon us. It ought to make us angry. It really ought to. We ought to be angry at abortion. Why? Because it cheapens life that is given of God. And all life is of God. There are no accidents in the kingdom of God. All life is of the Father. Abortion is never the answer. Yet we've just become inoculated to it. We've just become accepting of it. Because it's a modern society. Hogwashed. It's not true. We ought to be angry. We ought to learn how to be angry at the right things. You see, Jesus, the difference in Jesus' anger and your anger and my anger is Jesus was angry when others were hurt. Jesus was angry at sin. You and I usually get angry when we get jostled because somebody has stepped on our rights. He got my parking place, You know? When somebody steps on our toes or somebody bumps us, then we get angry. Look through the life of our Lord. And you'll not find one instance when Jesus became angry at a personal wrong done to him. They whipped him. They put him to the mockery of a trial, yet he never spoke a word. They nailed him to the cross, but what did he do? He prayed for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' anger was never zeroed in at an individual who had personally usurped one of his rights. Jesus' anger came from the Father. Jesus' anger was anger at sin. It was righteous indignation. I'm going to skip some things so that I won't make myself a liar. But the difference between the lost man's anger and the saved man's anger is right there. The lost man's anger always leads him to sin because it is always anger at personal rights. The saved man's anger, James says, be slow to anger. Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. The saved man's anger is never to be pointed at an individual, but pointed at a sin. Never as a result of a personal infraction against one individual's rights. We have no rights in Jesus. They're all his, they're not mine. But our anger and indignation should come from the Father. The same kind of anger and righteous indignation that Jesus exemplified. The lost man's anger always leads him to sin because it's selfish, it's venomous, it's bitter, it's resentful. The man who's been born again, his anger is never to be pointed toward an individual you should let me say it this way. You should hate the sin, but love the sinner. I know that sounds hokey. You should hate the, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Hate the wrong, but love the wrongdoer. Do you know what the scripture says of Jesus? He was the friend of sinners, yet Jesus hated sin. He got angry at sin, yet he loved the sinner. There's such an important lesson for us there. Be slow to anger. Paul says, be angry, yes, but the right things. Don't let it lead you to sin. Don't let it go down. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Open your ears, shut your mouth, and be slow, slow, slow to anger. If you want to know what a man's full of, just jostle him and see what spills out. He's full of anger. When you jostle him, that's what will come out. He's full of bitterness, jostle him, that's what will come out. He's full of resentment, jostle him, and that's what will come out. Find out what someone's really made of, then just push them a little bit. And what comes out is what they're made of. You can't judge the character of a person by his actions, always by reactions. See how he reacts when he's jostled. James says very clearly. That the anger of man, now listen, the anger of man never works the righteousness of God. Verse 20. The anger of man, when it's man's anger, when it's human anger, it never works the righteousness of God. So if man's anger never works the righteousness of God, whose anger does? God's anger. How do we know that? Because the Lord Jesus exercised it. And it was never at a person, it was never at an individual. Jesus loved the individual. But he hated the sin. And it always moved Jesus to action. He never could sit back and just let it go. So James says to us, Be quick to hear. Open your ears. Stand on spiritual tiptoes. Ask God to speak to you. Get into his word. Get into your prayer closet. Come to church. (laughs) But come with a heart that's prepared for God to speak and ask him to do it before you ever walk in this place. And God will speak to you. Be quick to hear. But be slow to speak. Most of us talk more than we need to, myself included. Be slow to anger. Be slow. Don't have a short fuse. Listen to Paul. Be angry, yes, but do not sin. Let your anger be God's anger, not man's anger, because man's anger never works the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're challenged by your word as we always are, challenged with our lives. I pray that tonight, Father, you'll take these words and you'll just add them to the hearts of your people here. Father, we want to be quick to hear. More than anything, we want to stand on spiritual tiptoes for you to speak to us. Lord, drive us to our knees, to the place of prayer. Drive us to your word, Father, that you might open it and let the words come off the page and literally take root in our hearts and our lives. Uh, Bless this time together tonight, Father, in the invitation in the fellowship and everything that's done. In Jesus' name, amen.